Good morning. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome you if you are visiting with us. We always love guests and hope that you'll come back any opportunity you can. As Brian had, st had stated, Brother Joel is over in West Tennessee this morning, and we pray for their uh, safety and travel back this afternoon. Thankful uh, for you and for the elders to, and their confidence in me to stand here um, and present this lesson this morning. You know, during our vacation Bible school, we began a series of lessons or thoughts about the parables of Christ. And uh, several weeks ago, Brother Joel brought a, a lesson about the prodigal son and and uh, we appreciate that. We appreciate all the parables of Christ, the master teacher. I wanted to follow up a lesson that I had back in July um, entitled uh, Keeping the Saved with this particular lesson that uh, I heard some of these points probably seven, eight years ago at Evangelism University. Our brother Kyle Butt was a speaker there at that time, and I took some notes about this particular lesson entitled What the Prodigal Can Expect at Home. And I wanted to share that with us because I th thought it was timely, coupled with the things we're studying on Wednesday night um, about uh, airing brethren and all those kind of things. And let me preface this lesson by saying I'm not fussing at you. We've been studying the, the letters of Peter in our Sunday morning class here in the auditorium. And Peter, the inspired apostle, and he was also an elder in the Lord's Church there in first century Jerusalem. He was writing things to, to Christians not to fuss at them not to tell them they were failing in their Christian Christianity, but to warn them and to encourage them and to have them keep on keeping on, so to speak, in terms of living a Christian life, even in a world that is full of persecution and, and difficulty. I hope you take this lesson this morning not as uh, not critical, but as something of, of a reminder, as something that we can all maybe find an application in this morning and uh, gain something from that. If you have your Bibles, be turning in the New Testament. Luke chapter 15 will be there in just a moment. Read a passage, a very familiar passage, and I will tell you this morning, this information is not new. This information is things that we, you already know, and that, but I want to remind us all of it. And uh, as many preachers would tell you, uh, that usually lessons they prepare and present are lessons they need to hear themselves. You are just kind of innocent bystanders, so to speak. That is the case, obviously, this morning as well. In Luke, the 15th chapter, we have recorded three parables that Jesus taught about things that are lost. You remember a sheep, a coin, and a boy. In the context of this chapter, Jesus is teaching a lesson in response to the Pharisees' critical observation of Jesus' practice of associating with publicans and sinners. You remember that the Pharisees were the religious elite of Christ's day, and they had nothing but disdain for really anyone who wasn't a Pharisee. They mostly, they had no regard for tax collectors, usually Jewish individuals who collected taxes from the people on behalf of the Roman government, and sinners, usually Gentiles, had no regard for those people. You recall that the shepherd had a hundred sheep and he lost one. The lady had not, uh, ten coins and lost one. The shepherd left the ninety-nine in the wilderness to went to find the one. The lady swept her house clean to find the one. About the uh, and when they found it, you know what happened. 
they rejoiced. Let's pick up our reading, Luke chapter 15. Again, a familiar passage. Let's begin our reading in verse number 11. I'm reading from the New King James translation. Jesus speaking here. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to him to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, he sent and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he, could, he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's pause there for a moment. I want to... Make some observations here quickly about the prodigal son. This is not the necessarily the thrust of our lesson. We'll get to that in a moment. But I believe this young man had several surprises occur as this parable unfolds. If you have your uh, announcement sheet there, we've given you some blanks that you want to fill in the information and study it maybe at a later time. Surprise number one. How easy it was to leave home. I'm sure he fully expected his father to say no. You know, in first century Jerusalem, or Jewish culture, it was not until the father died before the inheritance was available. And even then, the lion's share would have been given to the older son. In context, of Christians who wander away, many do so without ever really recognizing that they are doing it. They don't explode one afternoon or one morning in the foyer, never to return. It often happens in small steps. In many cases, it's easy to leave. Like that ship that gets loose from its mooring, just kind of drifts away. Surprise number two, how far sin took him. Picture this young man with his pockets full of money and the freedom of being on his own in the world. The world was his oyster, as we oftentimes say. Until in verse 14, the money runs out. There is a famine in the land, and he is in need. He found himself feeding pigs. 
he went from the penthouse to the outhouse, so to speak. We might say he hit rock bottom. Remember the point we made earlier, Jesus' primary audience here was the Pharisees. Jewish elite. Pigs were considered unclean animals to Jews. So to have a Jew feeding pigs, I think you get the picture. You know, I've heard it said this way about sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay. You know, I'm sure this young man didn't expect it to happen this way. When it happens to fellow Christians, they need empathy. That means to feel with. They need it from us, not shame and ridicule or forgiveness at arm's length or put on, a prob on probation. We need to try to remember what they are coming from. Surprise number three, how quickly his friends left him. I'm sure that when this young man was out living it up, he wasn't alone. I'm sure he had lots of friends around helping him spend his money. But when the money ran out, so did his friends. Isn't it funny how the world bases its friendship on what can you do for me? Once many, many once faithful Christians wander away thinking that their worldly friends and acquaintances will be there to support them during hard times. Maybe not so much when they hit rock bottom as this young man did. Surprise number four, how easy it was to come back. Don't misunderstand this point. I'm not trying to imply that he didn't have to swallow his pride. He didn't have to overcome the thoughts of how disappointed his father would be and the great personal embarrassment that he would have to endure because of his actions. Verse 17 says he came to himself. In other words, he woke up to his situation. You might say he came to his senses. Can you imagine being envious of a pig's food? You know, when I was younger, back at home, we raised pigs. And I don't think I ever was envious of the food they ate. He remembered that even his father's servants had it, <clears throat> had it better than he did. After he comes to himself, he prepares a speech that he will deliver to his father. He got up and he headed home. Have you ever been in a difficult situation where you, you know you've done wrong and you finally realize that you need to make it right and you figure out what the right thing is to do and you decide to do it? Doesn't it feel great? It's like a huge weight has been lifted off your shoulders. I have to think this is the feeling this young man was feeling at this point. You know, one other observation concerning easy to come back. I believe there are two things that brought this young man back to his senses. The pig pen, or the horribleness of sin, and the memory of a loving father. Today, the same two things I would submit for our thinking bring people to their senses. The awfulness of sin and the love of God. Surprise number five, the welcome of his father. As he nears home and the father lectures him, how could you have been so stupid? I sure hope you've learned your lesson. No, that isn't what we read. That isn't what happened at all. 
The father runs to meet him, hugs him, kisses him. You know the boy didn't expect that. His father felt compassion for him. The young man even isn't even able to finish the speech that he had prepared. The part about him being becoming one of his hired hand father's hired hands. He didn't even get didn't even get that that far. I'm sure he wasn't expecting the grand reception and celebration he receives. You know some points about restoration bring celebration and joy. In each incident here in Luke 15, we see a cycle occur. Something is lost. It is found. And rejoicing occurs. The sheep in verse 5 and 6. The coin in verse 9. And the boy in verses 23 and 24. What if we had such a loving, forgiving atmosphere that when we celebrate when an erring Christian comes back, demonstrating our love and forgiveness? Now, I ran through those quickly. We could stop the discussion here, but there's one individual in this parable that we haven't addressed yet. We need to talk about the older brother. Pick up the reading in there in verse 25, Luke 15, 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28. But he, talking about the older brother, was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered him and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and, <clears throat> and all that I have is yours. It was right that we would make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, is lost and is found. You remember in the context of these parables of Jesus here, the critical attitude of the Pharisees. As we've stated on many occasions, a parable is an earthly physical story with a heavenly spiritual application. Here the younger son represents sinners. The father represents God. And the older brother represents the Pharisees or those who have a holier-than-thou attitude towards sinners. Both these brothers had sin in their lives. The younger brother's sin was out in the open. The older brothers were hidden. We need to be careful not to be the older brother. Love was absent in his life. He wasn't happy that the younger brother returned, verse 28. He was angry because of his lack of love for the one who came back. All he cared about was himself. In today's terms, he might be called a self-righteous bigot because of his attitude. You remember that Jesus gave probably the, his most scathing condemnation of these religious types in Matthew 23 and verse 27 where he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. The older brother didn't care about the younger brother. He didn't feel compassion for him. 
God would rather welcome prodigals than to coddle the self-righteous. What made the father happy made the older brother angry. The older brother didn't understand grace, the concept of not getting what you really deserve. His attitude was that it wasn't fair that he stayed home but didn't get a party. He was jealous, verse 29. He said, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. He was hateful. He says, if that scoundrel's in the house, I'll just stay outside. You know, John reminds us, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. He says, if someone will say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Lastly there, he was critical. Verse 30, you notice how he said, this son of yours. I find that somewhat uh, funny, not necessarily uh, good, but from a standpoint of, you know, oftentimes we as parents, when our children act up, we'll tell our spouse that, son or daughter of yours that's what the older brother said here even though it was his brother he said this son of yours has done these things being critical even of his own father as we bring this to a conclusion here we see in this parable a young man who entangles himself in sin he hits rock bottom and decides to come home we all have the obligation I believe as Christians to go after the lost when they do come back how are we to act toward them? You know, tonight and every night, there will be a lot of people in bars. Not because they're alcoholics, some are, I'm sure, but because they desire fellowship. A number of years ago, you may remember a TV sitcom called Cheers. Listen to the lyrics of the songs or the show's theme and see if it doesn't sound like it could be written by the prodigal. It goes this way. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. What if we created in the church a loving, receptive, warm, embracing culture that people would want to be part of it? I'm not talking about compromising the truth just to fill our pews. I hope you know me better than that. I'm talking about showing the love of, of the Father and the compassion of Christ to those who need to see it and feel it. You know, when we establish these type of, this kind of atmosphere, people are less likely to wander away in the first place. And if they do, they will know that they will be welcome back when they repent. When an erring Christian comes back, we can either treat them like the father or we can treat them like the older brother did. I hope that we can see the clear choice from this teaching of Christ. Jesus gives us a great lesson here in Luke 15 about what the prodigal can expect at home. Again, please take this lesson in the Spirit, it's being given of love and care and compassion for this group of people, not accusing us of not being these things at all. We are a very loving con congregation. We just need to keep it up. When people come back, 
must welcome them with open arms, not being accusatory, not being critical, not being those things that we see in the older brother. God has forgiven them. We have to forgive them as well, and we should. This morning, if you're here, not a child of God, I can't think of a better opportunity than this morning to make that right. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. That means to change. Confess the wonderful name of Christ before this group. Continue to confess him every day that you, as you live a Christian life. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes away sin. Rising to walk a new, in a new life, a new creature, a new family, a new hope. You may have done those things in times past, but you've wandered away like that prodigal. You've allowed the world to come in and take over. Would you not come to yourself this morning if you have a need of a public confession, repentance, make those things right? I promise you, you'll be welcomed home here, and the angels in heaven will be rejoicing. Whatever your need, would you come as we stand and as we sing?